listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. And all the time, well, good morning and welcome to Central. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. And those of you watching online, we're so grateful that you could be with us today. Matthew chapter 19 is where we'll be. Matthew chapter 19, we're going to begin in verse number three. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. You can turn to page 824. Let's stand as we read God's word in Matthew chapter 19 in verse number three. The Bible says, and the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have, been made, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is able to receive this, receive this. You may be seated. How many of you have ever been single? <laughs> Every one of you in the room, is all, all of us at one point in our life has been single. And some of you are still single right now at our church, and you may not know this, that over uh, about 40% of our church, 18 plus, is single. That's about over about 600 people are single here. So if you are wondering, where can I find somebody? Uh, You never know. Come to church. Uh, What we know statistically is that the millennial generation and Generation Z, which is the upcoming generation, those that are going to be graduating high school this month, amen, amen. that they are going to be single longer than any other generation in history. The median age for marriage right now is 30 for men and 27 for women. Uh, One out of four people will reach the age of 50 unmarried. And so what we know is that people are waiting longer to get married and they're staying single longer, but yet people are dating more than ever before. There are 2,500 dating apps in America at least 8,000 worldwide, and in America alone, the dating apps that are out there are a $3 billion industry. Now, I remember being a single person. I was single for 24 years, or I actually calculated it this week. I was single for 8,887 days. And I remember that when I was a single person, the thoughts went through my head. These are the thoughts that I had. Number one, will anyone ever want to marry a preacher? Because at the time, I was actually a pastor when I was single. Could you imagine that? I mean, you, your pickup lines as a pastor uh, are, are not as, as fun as other ones, you know? Uh, hey, baby, did you like that sermon that I just preached? Let's go to lunch and talk about it. I mean, those are just some difficult things, you know? And, and you know, uh, it's amazing how uh, you can kind of have those thoughts. You know, I thought, will I ever get married? And then, you know, the real thoughts is, is loneliness going to crush me? And some of you are going right now through the pain of singleness. 
And uh, you're thinking, you know, I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be fulfilled until I can find someone. And maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you are single again. You were married and you had a wonderful marriage and then it all fell apart. And, and now you're just, is this the way my life is going to be? And is there any hope? And what does God have to say about singleness? Well, could it be that God actually has a purpose and design for your singleness that is good? Could, could that be the case? And some of you say, yeah, pastor, I, I, I want to believe that, but, but I want somebody to hold my hand while you're talking to me about that. Um, listen, uh, here's where we are. God has a word for you today. Whether you are single and have been single or, or listen, the advice that I'm going to give you that I feel like God's given me to share with you is something that I wish somebody would have told me when I was single. Some of you that are single again, maybe you feel like, you know, pastor, this is not as helpful, but, but I'm praying here that God and through his word will speak to you. Well, we're in Matthew chapter 19 and Jesus is answering the questions to the religious establishment about divorce and remarriage. And so the, uh, the Pharisees, it was ask Jesus anything day, I guess, and they wanted to trap Jesus, and yet Jesus wanted to teach them, and in doing so, he wanted to teach them about God's design. God's design for humanity, for gender, for sexuality, for marriage, for divorce, and today's topic, singleness. And so Jesus is going to use this question about divorce to talk about singleness. And so what Jesus actually has to say on this topic is probably the most radical and revolutionary teaching on singleness, singleness at that time in history and probably ever. And here's what Jesus is going to teach us. Jesus is going to teach us that singleness is not a burden to bear, but a blessing whether it is for a season or for life. So we're going to look at two things. Number one, we're going to look at the theology of singleness. There's a theology of singleness. God has a design and a plan for singleness. And so in verses 8 and 9, Jesus shares why God made a provision for divorce in the law of Moses. And, and just so you know that after this Sunday, starting the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about marriage. And so if you've got somebody, you know somebody that, that you want to have inviting, maybe they're struggling in their marriage, or maybe it would just be a great opportunity, invite them to come out. And so we're going to be talking about a different things with marriage. But Jesus is going to share with them that the reason that God made a provision for divorce in the law of Moses, even though it was not a part of his original design, was because of the hardness of the human heart. It's because of sins, because of brokenness. And so what we learn as we read the Genesis account is that before the fall, it was not good for man to be alone. But after the fall, it's not easy for a man and woman to be together, right? And so verse 10, uh, the disciples, after hearing Jesus saying, listen, it's not God's design for anyone to get divorced, but because of the hardness of the human heart, because of sinfulness, uh, there's only small exceptions. And so the disciples then say to themselves, and then out loud, well, Jesus, if, if that's the case, it's probably better that we not marry. And, and they expected Jesus in this moment to vehemently disagree with them. They, they expected Jesus was going to tell them that the most important thing that anyone can do is get married. Because in this day, nearly all ancient cultures and religions made marriage and uh, family an absolute value. If you were not married in, in this day, you had no honor, you had no legacy, you had no security, and you had no future. In the Roman culture, you had no status unless you had a spouse. In the Jewish culture, your participation in the Abrahamic covenant was tied to your children and was tied to your land. And so land and family were the visible blessings of God and without which you had no blessings and it seems that you were cursed. And so in Jesus' day, the disciples in their mind were thinking, you know what, if this is how marriage is going to be, maybe we shouldn't get married. But they were saying this to test Jesus, or not to test him, but to kind of, they were thinking Jesus was going to say that marriage is the absolute thing in your life. But yet, 
Our culture today doesn't glamorize marriage like that culture did. But what our culture does today is it looks to love and sex and romance as the ultimate source of joy. And so in our day, we idolize sex and romance so that we can obsess over it and even feel complete if we don't have it. And sadly, with a lot of people, uh, when they get love and marriage, uh, what they hoped for wasn't as great as they thought. Starts as an ideal and turns to an ordeal, and then they want a new deal. But even in our day, some, some people see singleness as purgatory. It's the penance you have to pay until you can actually have a happy life. But then others in our society see that marriage is slavery and oppression. It is a patriarchal system to subjugate women. And some people will say, you know, I'm never going to commit to anyone when I can sleep with everyone. And so we have this dichotomy in our day. Well, what you note here is in verses 11 and 12 is that what Jesus is going to say was extremely radical through these disciples because Jesus does not condemn singleness like the other rabbis would have done, but Jesus actually commends singleness. Now, one thing he says, he says this little caveat in verse 11, he says, not everyone is going to receive this saying. Not not everyone is going to accept what I'm about to say here. What I'm about to say here is actually very countercultural. So Jesus here is going to use a word, the word eunuch. And we don't use that word eunuch often around here. Uh, but it's typically Jesus is use, or what Jesus is using this word for is someone who doesn't marry. Now, a eunuch in Jesus' day was a man who was physically uh, unable to get married. Uh, often it was a slave that was uh, castrated uh, when, uh, to keep him uh, to uh, a place of trust and uh, would uh, oversee the, the, uh, the king or the, uh, the, the master's family and his finances. And so because of this condition, they were unable to marry and thus they were single. And so Jesus gives us three types of single people, three types of eunuchs. One, those that are born. These are sexual minorities. I think Jesus here understands that in the complexities of a fallen world, there are people that are born uh, with either uh, intersex, which we talked about before. Uh, that is, they, they have uh, kind of both chromosomes or they have both kind of uh, 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 parts uh, or, or there are people that have no desire for uh, relationships. Uh, Then you have those that are made, and and these are those that Jesus is specifically talking about, those who were physically put into slavery and where the men were castrated, or it could even be for some reason, circumstances in life uh, keeps people from being married. So you have those that are born, those that are made, and then he gives us the last category, and that is that those who have chosen to be eunuchs for the kingdom of God, and this could either be for a season or this could be for life, that they choose to be single because they believe that God has called them to this singleness, to singleness, to serve in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus here is saying that you have people that are single for a season, and then you have people that are single for a reason. But yet what Jesus does here that's remarkable is Jesus removes the stigma of being single. You want to know why? Jesus was single. As a matter of fact, historians will tell us that Christianity was the first religion that held adult single, uh, adult Uh, uh, adult singleness as a viable way of life. So God here has a purpose for singleness just as God has a purpose for marriage and that purpose is to glorify him. So God has designed all humanity to glorify him and to enjoy him forever and so you don't have to be married to glorify God. Singleness is not plan B for the Christian life. So being married does not mean that you are complete. 
Marriage is not ultimate for humanity. It is not as if you, if you don't find that special person to spend your life with that you are going to miss out on an essential part of having a happy, full life. The Bible teaches us that being married is not the only way to happiness. And some might say being married is the opposite. <laughs> Now, what happens is that Satan attacks singleness, just as he attacks marriage. And we're going to talk about that over these next three weeks. Satan makes us feel like our singleness is an excuse to pursue selfishness and sinfulness rather than to live for the glory of God. And so what Satan does is he tells us you're missing out in life because you're not married. And so you should pursue whatever makes you feel good. If you're not married, if you've not found that someone special to love, you should just live for yourself however you want to express yourself. Now, sadly, church culture can even feed into the myth that everyone has to be married. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard as a single person, this was, I was 24 years old in Kentucky, and so here's what they would say. They would say, don't worry, someday, someday you'll get married. People would come and they'd say, you know, statistically, 90 plus percent of people uh, get married. And, and this is what they were saying. In other words, they were saying, you're missing out. But one day, young man, one day, if you hang in there, you'll find happiness. Here's another one that I've heard uh, some people say. You know, God is still doing some work on you. <laughs> and once he is done, you'll find the one. In other words, they're saying, you're not very lovable right now. <laughs> you're not very special. But once you become nicer and a better person, then God will reward you. Here's what I want you to leave with. You can glorify God and be single. Amen. Right? You can glorify. You don't have to be married to be a complete person. As a matter of fact, you want to know something very truthful? Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 25, that in heaven we are neither married nor given into marriage, but we're like the angels in heaven. Now, if some of you hear this, you tear up. You'd be like, you hold your wife and say, oh, sugar, I promise you, we may not be married, but I'm going to be right next door. And you got a tear in your eye right now. And then some of you are saying, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. But here's what we have to learn. Jesus here teaches us, Jesus didn't have Mormon theology when it came to marriage. When you, when you marry somebody here on earth, you're not married forever. Because if you think about that, if that's the way it was, be careful who you marry, okay? But what Jesus says here is that marriage is a temporary thing compared to eternity. As a matter of fact, in heaven, the nuclear family doesn't exist. In heaven, there will be no marriage or biological family. But listen, that doesn't mean you're going to be lonely. It means that God is going to deal with your loneliness in a new and better way. Listen, there is no sadness in heaven because in heaven, our joys are not diminished at all, but they are heightened, they're transformed, and they're perfected. And so what Jesus teaches both in this text and all throughout his teaching is that marriage is not ultimate in heaven. And so if it's not ultimate in heaven, then it should not be ultimate on earth. Jesus de-idolizes marriage and family. Yes, it's precious. Yes, it's good. Yes, we're going to be lurking at the next few weeks. It is God's design. And there's an opportunity to share and show the gospel through your marriage. But Jesus is teaching us that biological and marital relationships are not as precious as our spiritual and eternal relationships. Think about this. Jesus was the greatest man to live, and he chose not to marry. You say, well, he was God. Yeah, but he was man. 
He was the God-man. And what you note is that Jesus was fully functioning and deeply happy in community. So that's the theology of singleness. We did it really quickly. Now I want to get to the practical teaching for singles. In verse 12, Jesus says that the one who is able to receive this, receive this. Normally the word receive is the Greek word paralambana, which means to bring within, to bring it to you. This is a different Greek word. It's the word kolero, and, and what it means is it means to make room for, to create space in your heart, to create space in your mind for this way of thinking, to have room in your heart for this vision of life. Because if all you have had in your heart, and if the only categories you've had in your mind is that I'm only going to be a complete person when I get married, I'm only going to be happy when I get married, I'm only going to find joy when I have kids and be married, then you don't have any room for this. But yet Jesus says, make some room in your heart for this. If you're able to receive this, receive this. Have another view of singleness than, than more than just a view that it's terrible, horrible, and lonely. And so what Jesus is going to do and what the whole New Testament is going to teach is that there are things that you can do in your singleness that will help you be a blessing to others and an impact for the kingdom of God. And so I'm going to give you five ways that I believe that you can, you can really thrive in the midst of your singleness, whether you are single now for a season or you're single for life, you're never going to marry, or maybe you are single again. And I want, to, I want to give you something that I wish somebody would have told me when I was 23 years old. Five things that we can learn here about singleness. In your singleness, which we're going to learn as a gift, the first thing you should do with your singleness is pursue Christ. Pursue Christ. Paul, who was the greatest missionary ever to live, was single. And he writes to the church of Corinth, and he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, I wish that all were as myself, but each has his own gift from God in one kind and, an, uh, one kind and another. So everyone has gifts. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. What Paul is saying here is that singleness is a gift. So what you have to understand is that Paul was not on ChristianMingle.com. He saw it as a blessing. And so he says, listen, if you've got this gift, if you've got this charismatic gift of singleness, if God has called you to that, that's okay. Because here's, why he, here's what the view is of that in verse 33. Here's why it's okay. He says, the married man is anxious about worldly ways and how to please his wife. Amen? Like, if you're married, you can't just live for yourself anymore. You can't just do what you want to do. You can't just spend money on what you want to spend money on. Someone said that marriage is the black hole of obligation. I didn't say that, but somebody else did. <laughs> Paul says, listen, the married man, he's constantly <clears throat> worried about how to please his wife. But then verse 34, his interests are divided. He's distracted. And the unmarried and betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in the body and spirit. But the married woman is worried or anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Amen? Amen, right? When you're, listen, marriage is a blessing, and we're going to talk a lot about this. I don't want you to leave here and say, well, I'm never going to get married. But here's what you have to understand, is that both singleness and both marriage are a gift. They're just a different type of gift, Right? Singleness is a gift that does one thing. Marriage is a gift that does another thing. But here's what you have to understand, that both gifts were meant to glorify God. So Paul here had a greater vision for his life that was more than love, sex, and marriage. 
to Paul, singleness was a gift that enabled him to spend more time with the Lord and to be more devoted to the things of God. Singleness provided for Paul an opportunity not to be distracted. Now again, if you're here and you are single again, and maybe you have children because of that, I understand that what I'm saying here may not, be, uh, uh, may not fit as much in your mind, but if you have never been married or you have, uh, uh, or don't have any children and, and it's just you, think about this. Singleness is an opportunity for you not to be distracted. When you pursue Christ in singleness, you're not as distracted. You know, I remember when I was single, One of the struggles that I had is that I couldn't go anywhere without looking around for a potential mate. And I was always distracted. I was always on guard because I felt like I was in interview mode. I always had to make sure, how do I look? Do I look fly for a white guy? (laughs) I was always. I mean, before I met April, I went on a series of first dates. They didn't get a second. But listen, there is beauty and joy in using your singleness as an opportunity to pursue Christ first. The Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Singleness is a gift that gives you the luxury of time and freedom to be attentive and devoted to the Lord and to build his kingdom. Now, some of you that are married and you're like, you know what, this is totally makes... You're going to meet single people. This is a way you can encourage them. And here's what you have to understand. And if you're single this morning, at least 40% of you are, God has ordained your singleness as an opportunity for you to spend more time with him. You know, sadly, a lot of Christian singles, especially a lot of young Christian singles, are wasting their time on themselves rather than spending their time with Jesus. The average adult, the average adult in America, the average young adult in America right now will spend according to latest statistics and surveys, 10,000 hours playing video games in their lifetime. Listen, if you spend 10,000 hours on anything, you should become an expert at it, right? But what's happening is, is that instead of spending time with the Lord, we're spending time playing Fortnite or something else. What, What I want you to understand is don't waste your singleness I think about my own life, like the opportunities I, that, that I hope I didn't squander. John Tyson, who preached a tremendous sermon on singleness, and this will all be in the footnotes, so if you want to access it, it's a whole lot better sermon than this, but here's what he said. He says, we have a generation defined by FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. But that needs to be replaced with FOSO, the fear of squandering opportunities. We need a generation of singles in the church to rise up with the compassion of Jesus in their hearts who will put their video games away and use the advantages afforded by their singleness to open their hands and hearts to the needs of the world and the cause of Christ. Pursue Christ. Secondly, if you're single, choose contentment. I I believe this with all my heart and I'm having to practice it on a daily basis. So even if you're married, this is a, a word for you. Contentment is a choice. You can either choose to be content or you can choose to be discontent. You know, some people say, you know what, pastor, if my circumstances have changed, then I would be content. You know, if I only had this, if I only had that, then I would be. But here's what you have to understand. Even if your circumstances change, it's not always going to change you. It's not always going to make you content. 
Not, and listen, just because your circumstances change doesn't mean you're going to be more godly or more holy. Doesn't, doesn't mean just because you get married, if that's what you're really wanting, that your life is just going to get easier and funner and you're going to be godlier. Here's the thing. I've had young men come to me and say, you know, pastor, if I only had a wife, I wouldn't struggle with pornography anymore. If, if I had a wife or if I had a husband, I wouldn't be tempted sexually. But here's the truth. Marriage does not solve problems. Marriage often reveals and magnifies problems. Every one of us has stuff in our life in which we wish that if we didn't have or circumstances we didn't like, that we wish that we didn't have in our life. But yet there are circumstances that God has put us in. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Am I going to be content with what God has given me or not? Paul, again, this single missionary, wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, and he says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for what I have learned in, every, in whatever situation I am, I am in, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. And we love that verse, right? I want you to understand that verse 413 is probably one of the biggest verses that's taken out of context more than any other verse in the Bible. Paul here is not, in that verse is not claiming that we have the ability to do anything and everything without exception because of Jesus. We do not have supernatural, superhuman strength to defy all odds. That's not what he's saying here. If you read the entire context, he says, I've learned that whenever situation I'm in to be content, whether it's good times or bad times, rich times or poor times, I understand that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What he's saying is this. He's saying that because of Jesus, he can have the strength to be content in every situation. Not necessarily going to overcome everything in the sense of going to overpower it, but he can be content. In whatever circumstance of his life, he can be content. He can find his source of contentment in Christ, not his circumstances. Because contentment is not found in your circumstances. Contentment is found only in your relationship with Christ. So if we, if you and I can just stop saying, if I only had, and just say, Jesus is enough. If we would just say that, Jesus is enough. Whatever you're going through, whatever hell you're going through, whatever happiness you're going through, just learn to say, Jesus is enough. And if you're single, one of the greatest testimonies you can have for Christ is to be in our society and be content with Christ. You know, if you go and complain to your other friends about your singleness, you know what you're saying? You're saying, you know what, I think God has done me dirty. I think God's not supplying my needs. But if you as a single person can continue to praise God regardless of your mar marital status, you are saying to the world that Christ is better and Christ is enough. And that is a countercultural witness. Amen. Pursue Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added. Choose contentment. Three, practice celibacy. You say, what is celibacy? What's, don't have sex with someone you're not married to. See, loneliness can cause you to do desperate things. Loneliness will cause you to give sex to get love. Loneliness will cause you to give love to get sex. Loneliness will cause you to pursue and obsess over things that make you feel like you're having intimacy with someone, but it's not real. This is a plague in, our, in the church. It's a plague in the world. It's pornography. 
There's probably not a person in this room that hasn't to some degree been exposed to it if you're over the age of 18. What pornography does is it promises all the pleasure of a sexual relationship without the satisfaction and fulfillment of a real relationship. It's fake reality. And here's what I know. It leads to spiritual rot. It leads to decay. And it is a vicious cycle. And if you're here and you're struggling in this vicious cycle, reach out to me. Reach out to our staff. You don't have to go into the details, but text us in and just put your name there and say, I need to talk to you. We're not, you don't have to type that in the thing, but just come. We'd love to talk with you. We have resources to help you think through these things. See, God can enable you to live a happy and fulfilled life without sex. Remember, the most joy-filled, love-filled man who ever walked on the face of the earth lived without sex. His name was Jesus. Rebecca McLaughlin, who that book, as a matter of fact, if you're still wanting to buy that book, 10 Questions and Answers that Every Teenager Should Ask About Christianity, they're still for sale in the Next Steps room. Please grab them while, before they're gone. She said this. She says, you won't wither without sex. Practice celibacy. Next, live in community. Live in community. Now, what do I mean by that? Marriage is not the only source of companionship. You understand that God established first your relationship with him. That's the most important relationship. Then marriage. But to those who are not married, God established a church. God established a church as the ultimate source of community in life. Christopher Yon said that our earthly families are temporarily bound by blood, but the family of God is eternally bound by the blood of the Lamb. So if you're single, whatever hardship you're facing, or even if you're not single, if you're married, whatever hardship you're facing, if you're in the church, you're never alone. Get involved in the church. You just can't show up late and leave early and expect anybody to know you. Get in community. And listen, and if not, just, not just get in community with other singles. I mean, we have on Sunday evenings right now, college young professionals. Most of them, I think all of them are singles. We have other type of single things here. But don't just get in groups with singles. Get with other people. Get with younger people, older people. One of the things I love about our groups here is that we have younger people and older people and people from different shapes and backgrounds and sizes and, 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 and thoughts are in groups together. You learn so much that way. If you're single and, and you feel like you're unfulfilled, be a big brother, be a big sister to those in our church who have lost their moms and dads. Be a spiritual parent through discipleship. And so the question I want to ask all our singles, are you in a group? Are you, do you, are you equipped to disciple? So one of the ways you can be equipped to disciple is to be on their go track and to do starting points. Starting points started today. All the time we're going to constantly have starting point, which is an eight-week tutorial that helps you kind of learn the basics and then it gets you on the track to become a disciple that makes disciples of Jesus. Are you serving? See, the Old Testament mandate was to multiply with physical offspring, but you know the New Testament mandate is to multiply through spiritual offspring. So our goal should not be to, to just have kids. It's great. But our goal should be to have spiritual children to spread the kingdom and to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Now, church, listen, we have a responsibility. And coming in the fall, we're going to really be ratcheting this up even more is the prayer is that we have a responsibility for those that are married to encourage singles, to see single people as treasures 
to love them, to invite them over, not just to babysit, <laughs> but invite them over. Don't just treat them like they're projects to fix. Don't play matchmaker. And to those of you that are divorced in this room and you're raising your kids on your own, you're, to a degree, you're, you're special people. Lean on your church community. Seek Christ before you seek any other relationship, but lean in your church family. And church, it is time for us to step up for our single parents. If you know a single mom, if you know a single dad, and you have time, and you have a relationship with them, and you're not weird, there are weird people out there. Offer to keep their, kid, their kids for them. Be a blessing. Here's the last thing. Rest in your true identity. Jesus said that some made themselves eunuchs, single, for the sake of the kingdom. In other words, some people willingly chose the kingdom of God over having a family on earth, either for a season or for life. I know some some of the greatest people that are missionaries around the world. I've interviewed them. I've spoken with them. They, they just feel like God's called them to be single. And they're serving the Lord on the front lines of ministry. How can somebody do that? How can somebody do that for the kingdom? You know how somebody can do that for the kingdom? Be single, not have a, a physical family? How can somebody do that? Because they know who they are in the eyes of the king. See, my identity and your identity as a person is not your marital status, but your eternal status. You are not defined by whether you're married or whether you're single or whether you're divorced or whether you have kids or whether you don't have kids. You're defined not by what others say about you. You're defined by who Jesus says you are. So the question is, is your identity secure regardless of your earthly relationships? Do you have to have a relationship to feel like you're a person? If you, if you can't, then I'm worried because there's nobody you're ever going to marry that's ever going to fill the needs of your heart. You, you can only have a secure identity when you have a real relationship with Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the deepest needs of your heart. And here, you're going to hear this over these next three weeks. You cannot take God-sized needs and give them to a human being. You, you can't take God-sized needs, and everyone in this room has God-sized needs, and you cannot just give them to another human being because it will crush them. You only take God-sized needs to God. Think about this. Where is your identity found? If it's in Christ and rest in that, that it's not what others say about me. I don't have to worry about that. This is who I am in Christ. If you are single right now, do not see yourself as a victim of circumstances, but see yourself as a victor in Jesus Christ. Use your time that the Lord has given you to find your identity in him. Find the love your heart is longing for in Jesus. Now, let me end with this thought. One of the people who is listening to Jesus say all that he said in Matthew 19 was an apostle named John. 
John wrote the book of John. John wrote the book of Revelation. John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He didn't write Dear John, but he did write those books. If you know anything about John, and if you've been watching The Chosen, you saw a little episode about this, that John and his brother James were called the sons of thunder. And every time I hear that, I think of, oh, 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 thunder. Anyway. (laughs) But if you know anything about John... John didn't have a lot of mercy. I mean, there were some people that, that kind of miffed him off, miffed him up. And he says, Jesus, let's just destroy the village and blast them all to hell. If you know anything also about John, John was the youngest of all the disciples. But as you read and you look in the Bible, there's a shift in, in John's identity. That John's identity shifts from the son of thunder to the apostle of love. You you may not have ever picked up on that. As a matter of fact, if you read his gospel, you know what he calls himself? It's going to sound maybe a little bit arrogant, but he's going to call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Like you have all these other guys, and then you have the guy that Jesus loves. And in other words, he believed that he is the one that Christ loved, and it changed his life forever. He found his identity in Jesus' love for him. And so he wrote this in 1 John 4, 4, 18. For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Some of you are afraid that you're going to be single forever. That nobody's going to love you. Everybody's going to hate you. No, there's no fear in love. The perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected by love. Verse 19, one of the greatest verses. We love him. Why? Say it with me. Because he first loved us. You understand that you may think in this room, I'm not lovable. No one's ever going to love me. No one's ever going to marry me. Listen, Jesus loves you. Think about this. Jesus made the first move. And Jesus loves you so much, he pursues you, and he's still pursuing you. And he not only makes the first move, but he makes the last move for all eternity. Because one day, every Christian is going to have a wedding day. Do you know that? Some of you, especially some of you women in here, and maybe you've never been married, and you're sitting there thinking, I've never had a wedding day. Listen, it's a glorious day that John describes. That in the book of Revelation, he tells us that one day every Christian is going to be married to Christ, and we are going to be his forevermore. Here's what he says in Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty pails of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You understand that one day, everything you've ever wanted in a relationship, everything you've ever hoped for, anything and everything you've ever dreamed of, on that day in heaven will be fulfilled. Some of you guys said, I don't want to marry Christ. That seems weird. No. Everything you've ever longed for, whatever love you've had here on earth, will pale in deep comparison, comparison to the love you're going to experience in heaven. And everybody in this room that knows Jesus is going to have a wedding day. 
The question is this, do you know the groom? Do you know the Christ? If you don't know the Christ, you need to know him. Because you're never going to have that the hole in your heart filled until you know him. And when you have him, you don't need another man or another woman to fill your heart. Because you have him. Father, in Jesus' name, what I couldn't do, what I couldn't say, and maybe went a little long today. God, would your Holy Spirit do in power? God, I pray for those in this room that are single or single again. And they hear a message like this and say, well, that's good for him. He's married. Oh, Lord Jesus, give them the strength to understand that you are the greatest human ever to live, the God-man, and you were single and you found joy. And Lord, let them find joy in you because you are so good to us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.